You know, between us, we know it. Or two. Yesterday it was three, but today it's two. Hey, good evening. Welcome. Come on in to Erie House Radio. We are your hosts, and I'm one of them. <laughs> Dale Kay from Spook Show here, along with... Hypnotized Dave Binkley from The Weirdness, Really Bad Movie, and Spaceship One. Yeah, and we're continuing our hypnotic weekend with more tales to mesmerize and entertain you guys. Absolutely. Look at that. <laughs> Getting lyrical without even trying. Um, <laughs> yesterday we were talking a little bit about hypnotic moments in movies. We brought up uh, The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T., and while we were doing a little show prep here, we remembered a couple more. How about Ka, the snake, from the Jungle Book, when he was hypnotizing Mowgli? Trust in me. <laughs> yes, and, and uh, it was during that movie, I, I, I told Dale, that Walt Disney actually approached Sterling Holloway and asked him to if he would consider doing the voice of his, uh, he'd gotten the rights for Winnie the Pooh, and he was looking for that perfect voice for Winnie the Pooh, and that's when he asked Sterling Holloway to become that iconic Winnie the Pooh character. Yep, and uh, of course, uh, his his great performance as Ka the Snake. I loved that when I was a kid. I was so young. I was probably about eight, nine years old when that came out. Oh, Maybe what, what, yeah, I know. What a great movie it was uh, uh, with, with uh, Sebastian Cabot. He was the... Uh, uh, Bagheera, yeah, and then you, the had, then you had then you had Phil Harris, who was Baloo the bear. Um, uh, trying to think who else was. Uh, of course, you had Con- the Sterling Holloway. Um, yep. Trying to think of the other major characters. Oh, Shira Khan had a really great deep uh, deep voice. What was his name? The gentleman who played Shira Khan, the tiger. Oh yeah, the tiger. A very distinguished weird. British voice, and I I can't remember. His name, <laughs> offhand. And what's so weird is actually he was kind of saved by the wolves and a bit raised by the wolves, which kind of was kind of negated by Phil Harris's presence. I think who was the teacher? The bear was the teacher. Well, he, he was more of a happy-go-lucky, do-nothing. Oh, Louis Primo was uh, Louis King of the oh, Apes. That's right, and he took so much flack for being that because. Uh, the, the African-Americans said, how dare you portray an ape? He says, I'm Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and George Sanders was the voice of Shira Khan. Ah, that's right. That's right. Yes. And the baby elephant, if you remember the marching elephant army yes. or whatever, yes. one of the baby elephants was portrayed by Clint Howard. <laughs> really? Wow. Never looked better in his life. <laughs> in the cartoon. <clears throat> <laughs> but that came from all from the memories of uh, thinking about the uh, this hypnotizing snake uh, uh, from there. Yep. Because that is our topic. Uh, you know, a side topic for tonight's show, Dale? Here's a side topic. Now, all right. from your experience with working with Creepy Castle and, of course, with the Erie House television. What comes to mind when you think of ZIV? 
Z I V. Right. Ziv. <laughs> Zip. Yep. Oh. Oh, Eric Von Zipper. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Uh, uh, the uh, ZIV was uh, a major player in syndicated programming. Uh, first in early radio, then in uh, uh, early television. Matter of fact, in, in television, they provided more than 13 million feet of film. We'll go into that in a minute. Actually, Frederick Ziv was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. To William and Rose Ziv. His parents were Jewish immigrants. His father, William, was a manufacturer of buttonholes for overalls. How do you make holes? I don't know, but that's what he did. He came to the U.S. in 1884 from Lithuania, then part of the Russian Empire, and his mother rose from Bessamia. Uh three years later. He had a sister named Irma. He graduated from Hughes High School in Cincinnati. He, uh, then earned his Juris Doctor degree from the University of Michigan, shame on him, in Ann Arbor, in 1928, but he never practiced law. Instead, he opened an advertising agency in his native city of Cincinnati. Uh, At that time, Cincinnati was an important center for radio in the 1920s, the nation's largest sponsor, Procter & Gamble, and one of the most powerful radio stations, WLW, were based there. The ZIV and writer John Alsin, who later became his business partner, partner and son-in-law, founded the Frederick W. Ziv Company. They produced pre-recorded shows such as Boston Blackie and the Cisco Kid, and originally brought the old shows uh, and bought old shows for new syndicated rerun broadcast. And uh, the best of this was known as Easy Aces. Now that's just. Uh, just a, a smattering of some of the radio shows because both of our shows tonight actually were ZIV created syndicated shows, first run syndicated shows as Boston Ooh. Blackie, because Boston Blackie first through radio and then they did it for uh, they, they did it for five years on radio and for three years on television. Uh, when you look at the, the different. Uh, a television, well, Mr. District Attorney. I'm sure they did the radio and they did the television. And the Cisco Kid, radio and television. They uh, also had, uh, here's what, maybe one of the biggest hits they had was Highway Patrol with Roderick Crawford. They also produced Bat Masterson and Sea Hunt. Uh, they, and, but uh, maybe be best remembered on television for I Led Three Lives, which is another one of these I was a communist for the FBI type thing. Ah. Uh, hey. Uh, as, oh, okay. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, as, as television uh, was getting started, the networks weren't having a lot of programming, and that's where they really started making uh, uh, their money. But by 1959, the networks were very much taking over the programming. It didn't leave a whole lot of room for them, and it just kind of, wiped out a lot of their uh, aspects to uh, to have shows to get them out there. Uh, the, today would be a whole new, they could have their own network on cable. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's probably what would happen if they did what they do today, because they were a station that created content. They were. And 
ironically, not only were they both uh, from that network, but uh, both shows, of course, about hypnotism tonight. Uh, Linda Liu yeah. brings up in the chat, she just saw Grandpa hypnotize Herman on the Munsters. <laughs> oh, my. Yes, I remember that now. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. But, but, you know, Herman was an easy subject. So, you know, what can we say? Wasn't the brightest of guy. I don't know where they got his parts from to throw him together. But he wasn't the brightest of monsters, so. No, he wasn't. <laughs> but it's uh, a really good radio tonight. You know, I I am very glad to hear of the return of Weird Circle to Erie House Radio. That's uh, that's one of the good genre shows. Very suitable. <laughs> yeah, and and I you know one of the reasons. Uh, uh, it was so special. I mean, the, the 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 stories were classic stories, or what we would call today public domain territory. So they didn't. They paid a guy to adapt the stories, but the main but but the main uh, uh, authorship went to the, well, the where the story was originally based on. So I think that's pretty cool that they did do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, they have to make a radio play out of it, but uh, but it is good that they credit the original author. I mean, I mean, there was so much of Poe and Hans Christian Andersen and Robert Louis Stevenson and Wilkie Collins and um, uh, 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 a lot of Poe. Um, uh, just looking over some of these names here, they're all people... Most of these stories came to us. I think it's another thing that's interesting. Most of these stories came to us from the 1800s uh, and were adapted into these broadcasts. So uh, with, with the weird circle, they can kind of do it as kind of a time travel thing back to these wonderful days. Yep. And uh, <laughs> we might as well move along here to our first one. Uh, what are we going to start with, Dave? Well, we've been we've been promoting the weird circle here. Why don't we uh, start off with that? And uh, um, just again, uh, uh, this was a ZIV production produced at the RCA's New York studios and licensed by Mutual, and then later NBC's Red Network. It lasted for two seasons, thirty-nine sh- shows uh, each, and uh, seventy-eight total. And most of those stories, I think, are still with us today. The uh, recordings are again. Being syndicated, they were put on the disc, and that's how they were made and, and transferred out to different stations. So, uh, luckily, we do have those because they were so many stories were done live, and poof, they're gone. Uh, when you're doing a syndicated show, they're automatically recorded, and uh, so uh, it should be just about time to get that uh, bell tolling for the weird circle. And this one is from. April 8th of 1945. Out of the past, phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale. The case of Monsieur Valdemar. Thank you. 
Dr. Foissart, you may proceed with your statement. Murder. I, Dr. Emile Foissart, stand charged with murder. But, Your Honor, murder means to take away the life of someone. I did not take away the life of Marie Valdemar. I granted her life. Granted it from the depths of my knowledge of facts which previously were known only to God. But let me tell you my story. One night, about eight months ago, I was sitting in my study. Dr. Prasad, a visitor wishes to see you. Oh, I'm about to begin an experiment in self-hypnosis. I, I cannot be disturbed. Tell him to come some other time. Sir, I told him that, but he said it might be too late. Too late? I'm no longer a physician subject to the call of every glutton whose stomach repents his sins. He knows you are a physician no more, sir. He said he needs you to employ your powers of mesmerism. I wouldn't have bothered you, sir. But he seems so desperate. Mesmerism, eh? Yes, sir. I'll see him. Dr. Fazar will see you. Dr. Fazar, I'm Ernest Valdemar. I don't know how to thank you. My wife, my sweet wife Maria, lies desperately ill. I'm sure she will die. Mr. Valdemar, you have gained entrance to my office by a trick. I cannot help your wife. My license to practice medicine has been taken away by pill peddlers who didn't have sufficient intelligence to understand my study of hypnotism. Take your case to one of them, Monsieur Valdemar, and permit me to go on with what they call my black art. Dr. Fossar, when I told your servant I wanted to employ your hypnotic powers, I meant it. Huh? I am acquainted with what your fellow physicians have done to you. You know. Yes, and I've heard your lectures on mesmerism many, many times. Oh, you like my lectures, eh? Oh, they were nothing. Wait till my new experiments are complete. But, Doctor, then, I... Please, you will really hear something then on the threshold of discovering the art of hypnotizing yes, myself. But... You see, when a trance has been... Please, uh... please, Dr. Fossar, some other time. I beg your pardon. My enthusiasm, I forgot myself. Please go on. My wife is at the point of death. You have a physician attending her? Yes. Dr. Bulow. Bulow? That dealt with he headed a committee which revoked my license. Some more hypocritical, bombastic blowhard I have never seen please, in all my life. Please, let me tell you. I, I... Oh, please forgive me. Go on. We've been married a short year, during most of which Maria has been ill. We have not even had time to skim the cream of our happiness when ill health overcame her. What is the nature of her illness? Dr. Bueller says that it's a rare type of incurable consumption. She lies abed... Her beauty unabated, but under the surface of flesh is rotting away in decay and waste. I see. Tonight, perhaps tomorrow, she will breathe her last. Monsieur Valdemar, believe me, sir, I understand your desperation. But I cannot see how I can help you. By hypnotism, Dr. Fazar. Hypnotism? Yes, from the depths of my anguish, an idea came to me. In your lectures, you have stated that a person in a mesmeric trance is... How shall I say it? Suspended, lifted out of the stream of life. Yes? His consciousness is not like that of an ordinary feeling mortal. I see. I see. You mean that if your wife were put in a trance before she died... She would go on living, exactly. She would be beyond the reach of death. Extraordinary. Monsieur Valdemar, you... You have leaped the last step in the logic of mesmerism. It is the thing for which I have been groping blindly in my studies. You I... do it, then... The idea intrigues me. It has never been tried, but... Oh, I, I need time to think. But, Dr. Fossard, there is no time. Maria may be gone before we can attempt to save her. Uh, very well, then, I'll do it. God 
Bless you, sir. But there is one condition. For my own protection, her doctor must be in attendance. Bueller? Yes. Otherwise, if the experiment should fail, I will be placed in jeopardy. I am, might be accused of unlawful practice. But at this time of night, how can we gain his consent? We must induce him to attend. Otherwise, I cannot risk the experiment. My carriage is outside. Good. We will go to see my friend, Dr. Bueller. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Doctor. Come, come. We must hurry. Professor, I tell you, you are overreaching yourself. Bulo, you have thrown me out of the profession. You have deprived me of my right to earn a living. Very well, I'll not hold that against you. Oh, that's quite gracious of you. Please, gentlemen, my wife. That's right, Bulo. This issue is Monsieur Valdemar's wife, not my pride, not your medical orthodoxy. I do not presume to tell you whether to make your worthless pills out of bread or out of sugar. Well, I should hope not you. Well, then, please don't presume to tell me how to practice my art. Art? Sheer bunkum. Perhaps it is. But I am willing to put it to the test. I approach this experiment with an open mind. Monsieur Valdemar's wife lies abed, dying. Monsieur Valdemar loves her, wants her to live. You shrug your shoulders and say, Poor fellow, it is hopeless. Well, it is. If you remembered any of the medicine you learned, you'd agree. I say it is not hopeless. He wants his wife. I'm willing to try to save her. God bless you, sir. No, Monsieur Valdemar, God will not bless him. The first thing a physician learns is that there comes a time in the course of an illness when it is sacrilege to stand between man and his maker. Bulo, please do not dress up your lack of medical knowledge in the cloak of a sermon. I tell you, sermon or not, no mortal person can meddle in matters of life and death without meeting the consequences. As Madame Valdemar's physician, I cannot sanction this blasphemous experiment. Well, Monsieur Valdemar, there is your answer. I'm sorry. But to proceed without Dr. Bulow would only be putting my head in a noose. Dr. Bulow, I have held my tongue, but I can no longer be silent. I have given to your care the most precious thing I own. My wife. Monsieur Valdemar, are you suggesting that I have not performed my duty? No, Dr. Bureau, I'm not, at least not until now. As long as you were willing to try anything your knowledge and experience suggest that I've been patient. But I cannot. I cannot bear to let Maria slip away from me without attempting to save her. What more can I do? Come to my wife's bedside. Oh, it's madness. Dr. Bureau, I have hesitated to say this. But if you do not come at my request to attend my wife... I shall spend the rest of my days reviling you to the people of this town. A doctor who is unwilling to come to the deathbed of his own patient, no matter what the circumstances, will not find himself welcome in the house of the sick. Very well. I shall go with you, Monsieur Valdemar, but only to protect you from this charlatan. Rosa, this is your doing. I won't forget it. The light is down in my wife's chamber. Come, gentlemen. We have no time to lose. I warn you, Fruaza. Do not attempt any medical cure. Dr. Bureau, please. This way, gentlemen. Oh, Monsieur Valdemar, I am so glad you're here. Madame has nearly left us. Twice she called your name and cried, I'm going, Ernest. I'm going. May God preserve her. In here, Dr. Fossard. Ernest. 
Oh, I was afraid you'd left me alone forever. Never, Maria. I've brought someone who will help you. No one can help me now. Do not say that, madame. Put yourself in my hands. Think only of life, of the joy of living. Dr. Bulow, would you care to examine the patient? I have given my judgment. You may proceed. Do you need anything, Dr. Fossa? Give me a candle, please. And everyone be good enough to remain quiet and let me have your attention and good wishes. Here. Here is the candle. Thank you. Now, Madame Valdemar, I am going to put you in a trance. Are you willing? Yes. Yes, I, I want to be put in a trance. But I'm afraid you've come too late. There is yet time. Life does not exist in quantity. It is all or none. While there is life, it can be preserved if you want it, wish it. If there is nothing dearer than it. Look at the candle. See the flame of the candle. I see the candle. The candle will preserve you from death. If you will put yourself in my hands. In my hands. Look at the candle and think. Think slowly. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Are you asleep now? Not asleep. But very, very tired. You want to sleep. You want to fall deep. Deep. Asleep. You're tired. You're drowsy. Sleep. Sleep. There. There. Sleep. Maria, are you asleep? Yes. Asleep now. Do not wake me. Let me die so. Do you still feel pain? No pain. I am dying. Raise your arm and point at the candle. Incredible. She hasn't had the strength to do that in days. Now, lower it. Ah, that's very good. She's in a trance now. Will you take over, Dr. Bulow? Perhaps feel her pulse? Very well. God bless her. She looks so beautiful. The pulse is steady, but it's very weak. It's growing weaker. Her breath is hardly noticeable. Give me a mirror, we'll see. Here, Doctor. There. Just the faintest clouding. Her life is ebbing away fast. Are you asleep, madame? Yes. Still asleep. Dying. Her pulse has stopped. The mirror doesn't cloud. She stopped breathing. You mean... all hope is gone, Dr. Bulow? Hope was gone before, Monsieur Valdemar. Light cannot be lengthened by the application of parlor games. I only regret that your hopes have been raised so cruelly by this charlatan. Bulow, did you ever think that there may be matters in this world beyond our kin? Forces which are indestructible, which live independently of the beating of the human heart? Oh, you're mad. Dangerously mad. A deathbed is 
no place for this cabalistic mumble-jumble. There can be no better place. For there, where life and death meet, is the great mystery which man must ever aspire to know if he is to know God. What do you mean? You, a physician, say she is dead. But I put her in a trance, and only I can release her. But she is dead, man. Dead. There's nothing beyond death. I put her in a trance, I say, and only I can release her. It's blasphemy. Sheer blasphemy. Call it what you will. I care not for names. But watch. And watch carefully. Listen. Maria, are you still asleep? Yes. No. I have been sleeping. But now, now, I am dead. Flash from the great beyond. She's dead. <laughs> she's but dead. is she? Is she? Ooh. Yes. Uh, wonderful. I know this, uh, yep. Go ahead. I know this story pretty well. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Vincent Price uh, in a uh, Roger Corman telling of this tale. And as he did many times, he uh, Roger Corman took them from... Uh, from Poe stories, ideas. And that's what this story is from tonight, from Edgar Allan Poe. In the weird circle. How weird can you get? <laughs> and you know what? Very little sound effects, very little music, but a wonderful, wonderful story. So uh, uh, they have so many uh, uh, interesting things happening uh, so many different uses for. Uh, I think last night we had it to commit crimes. Uh, uh, tonight, tonight they're doing it to keep a dead person that's dead uh, sort of uh, alive, or at least in a hypnotic state. Yep. So. Joining Linda Lou and Fogsbane in the chat, we have Darks Credit Chick. Uh, yeah, Clark's Credit Chat Late Nights. Hey, how you doing? And welcome, and thanks for listening to. Erie House Radio. Yep, and we have some old radio programs going on tonight. This weekend, it's all about uh, hypnotic tales, and uh, that's what we have for you tonight, a Edgar Allan Poe story and uh, from the Weird Circle from 1948. Actually, last night, Dale, all three of our tales were from 1948. Tonight, none of these both from the ZIB company. They are also uh, from 1945. So... <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> the scheming of Dave Binkley to program these fine, fine uh, radio shows we're bringing you this no. and every weekend. No, it was a coincidence, actually, yeah. <laughs> shh, 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 shh. Don't admit nothing. Because <laughs> I, almost, I almost put the Boston Blackie on, on Friday night, because I know how much Gar absolutely loves uh, Boston Blackie, so uh, it was really uh, a toss-up, and and I don't know what made me put it on Saturday, but it's funny that all three other shows were from '48, and last night's was from, uh, <laughs> and tonight's are from from '45. Just it just 
It's just kismet. 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 Uh, but real quick, before we get back into wrapping up the weird circle, uh, someone brought up in the chat yesterday, maybe it was Fogs, I don't know, uh, another great uh, film about hypnosis. Uh, probably the grandpappy of all hypnotic movies, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, with the somnambulist mm-hmm. portrayed by Conrad Veet. Right? Veet. Something like that. Well, yeah. And, and when you look at that, then you'd have to say, to a degree, Dracula is a bit of hip, hypnotic, hypnotism. That was definitely all... one of his powers. He totally yeah, took it, over Renfield and uh, uh, entranced his victims as well. Right, so uh, that that adds a whole lot of other uh, stories to uh, and movies to the whole hypno- hypnotic type of thing we're doing here tonight. Yep. And with that in mind, let us wrap up our first feature from the Weird Circle: The Case of the Monsieur Valdemar. Uh-oh. You testify under oath that after her heart and breath had stopped, Madame Valdemar spoke. Is this really true? I swear to it, Your Honor. I cannot deny that these words issuing from the still, lifeless Maria Valdemar called forth an unutterable, shuddering horror in everyone that was present at her bedside. Even Bulow stood aghast, his face moist with fear. This is the devil's work. Maria Valdemar is dead. But it was her voice. It sounded as if it came from a distance or echoed through a large cavern. I heard the voice. But there's no pulse, no breath. Your wife is dead. Perhaps it is my turn to preach a sermon, Bulow. How can you, a mere mortal, presume to say what constitutes life and what does not? Her breath is stilled. Her heart no longer beats. She's dead. Bulow, Bulow, can't you see... This is no time to recite elementary physiology by rote. She's dead. All the signs prove signs. What signs? Does a dead person speak? No. It is plain that death has been arrested by the mesmeric process. Dr. Bulow, why do you insist she is dead? We had so little time for happiness together. Do you begrudge me the faint small spark of life that yet remains? Maria. Maria, my love is yours forever. Her lips tremble as if she's trying to reply... Monsieur Valdemar, I have my responsibility. Your wife is dead. Her death must be reported. Bulow, I know your responsibility well. I have exercised it many times myself with heavy heart. But I cannot see how you dare pronounce Madame Valdemar dead. Froissart, I told you at your trial in front of the committee that no good would come of this dealing with the devil. I warned you before that you would regret your meddling with life and death. Madame Valdemar has died. I must report it. Please. Please, Dr. Bulow, I beg of you. You heard her speak. You saw her lips tremble. Can't you accept this miracle? Suppose I do accept it. Would you? I can accept the miracle, but I cannot accept the responsibility arising from it. Then you will issue no certificate of death. There will be none issued so long as the flicker of life remains. Good night, gentlemen. 
Proceed, Dr. Foissart. The months rolled by. Monsieur Valdemar overwhelmed me with his gratitude for the prolonging of his wife's life. Madame Valdemar remained in the same condition. Her heartbeat and breath continued absent. But her skin, though cold and lacking blood, neither shriveled nor decayed. Her lips still responded to questions put to her with the slightest quiver. But there were no other evidences of life. Monsieur Valdemar derived much comfort from the presence of his wife and became my devoted pupil. Ah, Ernest, what brings you here today? To see you and perhaps ask you a few troublesome questions. <laughs> we'll save the trouble for last. No, Emil. My mind is ill at ease. Nonsense, Ernest. Listen, I have been making great progress lately with my new studies. Oh, yes? Yes, indeed. I've been practicing self-hypnosis. Really? There's no limit to the possibilities of mesmerism. When I can completely grasp the art of hypnotizing myself, perhaps then I will have come close to my goal. Don't you see? A man can be released from a trance only by the person who put him into it. Now, if I should put myself in a trance, I... Ernest, you're not even listening. Emil, I'm troubled. Sorely troubled. Your wife remains the same. Yes, but... Bulo has been to see her. Yes, as usual. He agrees that there is no change. Yes. Look, Emil. When I came to you seven months ago in desperation, you did what I asked you to do. Whatever is the matter with you today, Valdemar? I'm beginning to realize the horror of my situation. My dear fellow, it's just that it's new, perhaps strange... But when mesmeric science becomes better known, you will feel more at ease. This is not just the mood of the moment. I've felt it growing for some time. Ah, you've been listening to Bulo's prattle. No, no, Fossa. It was not Bulo who made my Maria appear to me in a vision. Her arms fettered with heavy chains. A piteous, pleading look on her face. This is hallucination, not science. Was it hallucination when she cried out, Ernest, my beloved, for the sake of God, if you love me, release me. I'm neither on earth nor in heaven. And again, hallucination. You're giving your imagination free reign. Maria is still with you. This is not Maria. Not my Maria. I saved all the life that was in her. You did. And I thought it would be enough. But as day after day goes by, as night follows upon night, I come more and more to the conviction that this is not she. The real Maria lives in my brain, in my heart, and in the love I bear her memory. Not in this corpse with the trembling lips. Frossard, can't you understand? I'm living in a tomb with the body of a stranger. Valdemar, what would you have me do? Release her from the trance. Come, Valdemar. Come, there's no need to be hysterical. The trance has lasted a mere seven months. Give me a year. That is not much to ask. I shall be better dead before the year is out. You must release her from the trance. Remember, Ernest, I cannot tell what will happen. Whatever happens, at least it will be God's will. Very well. For you, Ernest, for you as my pupil and my friend, I shall try to release Maria tonight. Dr. Fossard. Oh, good evening. It's good to be in out of the rain. They are up in Madame Val... in her chamber. They... Monsieur Valdemar and Dr. Bulot. Oh, what is Bulot doing here? I beg your pardon, sir. Oh, nothing, nothing. They are waiting for me? Yes, sir. Thank you.
Come in for, sir. We're ready. Bueller, what are you doing here? Attending my patient. I see. After all, we agree that she is alive, don't we? Of course. Monsieur Valdemar, I'm sorry. Tonight's work cannot be done in the presence of an unsympathetic spirit such as Bureau's. It will require the most delicate hypnotic adjustment. Put your mind at ease, Froissart. Not for the world would I be present at tonight's meeting with the devil. That's your responsibility, completely. I leave her in your hands. Alive. Good. Now that he is gone, I can work. Maria Valdemar, you are in my power. Awake. Awake. Awake from the trance. Look, her eyelid twitched. Maria, I command you to raise your arm. Your right arm. Your arm. Move your right arm. Maria. Maria, can you explain what your feelings or wishes are now? Look, her lips. For God's sake, quick. Quick. Put me to sleep or waken me. Quick. I say to you, I am dead. Maria Valdemar, waken, be among the living, waken. Dead. Dead. See our whole bodies moving. Rise, awaken, live. Dead. No, she lies still. It is too late. Maria, are you with us? She does not answer. Her lips tremble no more. Dr. Bureau! Valdemar, you called? You know, she's gone. She's dead. Rosa, what have you done? I... done? She was alive when I left this room. What have you done? Nothing. I... I released her from the trance. Release? Trance? Neither science nor the law recognizes these terms. What do you mean, Bulo? That this is the end of your meddling, Froissart. My patient was alive when I left this room. We agreed that she was alive. Now she's dead. I charge you with the murder of Madame Maria Valdemar. This, Your Honor, is the true and complete story. With full faith in the justice of the court, I shall await the verdict. Emile Foissard, you have been tried fairly before this court, and you have been judged guilty of the murder of Maria Valdemar. It is now my duty to pronounce sentence. I hereby condemn you to hang by the neck until you are dead. Dead. <laughs> they thought they could kill me. But they forgot that it was I, Emile Froissart, who had discovered in mesmerism the secret of immortality. They led me to the gallows. They blindfolded me. They put the noose over my head. But I laughed at them. Yes, laughed at their gallows and their noose. They, they sprang the trap. The noose tightened around my throat. I quickly put myself in a trance. A trance from which I could be released only by myself. <laughs> Dead. I shall go on living forever. <laughs> From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought you the immortal tale 
the case of Monsieur Valdemar. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. Oh, that was way, way too cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, from the master himself, the pen of Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave always brings us lots and lots of facts when we do these shows, and um, we always get to learn something. But sometimes, through the course of doing a show, we learn something. House Radio proudly resents a garless moral of the story. With apologies to guard, self-hypnosis will not keep you from dying, as far as we know. But if you want to try anyway... Send forty nine ninety five to Dale and Dave at Erie House Radio for your free booklet, Three Ways to Hypnotize Yourself for Life. Way one, stare into the hypnotic eye. Way two, repeat to yourself, I am asleep. I am asleep. I am asleep. Until you finally fall asleep, even if it takes 11 hours. Way three, a ball-peen hammer. Ouch. This booklet will help you become enriched in knowledge. And we'll be enriched by forty nine ninety five. No COD. <laughs> Therefore, you're moral. <laughs> no moral? It was a freaking commercial. <laughs> oh, question. Do we do we take PayPal? Uh, we'll... I don't know. PayPal can get their money back. You send cash, and you can't get your money back necessarily. We just deny yeah. we ever got it. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah, and we do it PayPal. too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! <laughs> we may be crooks, but damn it, we're honest about it. That's right. <laughs> Open that pocketbook. <laughs> oh my. Well, we still have another tale to tell here tonight. I don't know whether, you know, we have enough time if you uh, wanted to, to uh, spin the, spin the, the, the uh, go to the jukebox or, or anything like that, Dale. Oh, we, we oh. have time for extra features and extra stuff tonight, folks, so stick around. Yeah. Uh, not only do we have an episode of Boston Blackie coming up, but as Dave mentioned, uh, some good stuff. You want to spin a wheel now, Dave? No, well, I don't know about spinning wheel, but uh, you know we haven't played a, we haven't gone to the the, the actual song jukebox for a while. Uh, I think we got a few things sitting in there. All right. And, uh, I know that one takes a dime. I know the commercial only takes a nickel, but I did get paid, so I do have a, a full dime that uh, uh, you can that you can uh, slide into the 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 song jukebox there, Dale. All right, let's pop that in there and see what happens. Well, Dottie, I understand before John Lund comes back, you are going to sing Carry Me Back to Old Virginia. The name of my song is Did You Ever See a Dream Walking? <laughs> Close, wasn't I? 
Did you ever see a dream walking? Well, I did. Did you ever hear a dream talking? Well, I did. Did you ever have a dream thrill you? With will you be mine? Did you ever see a dream dancing? Well, I did. Did you ever see a dream romancing? Well, I did. Did you ever find heaven right in your arms, saying, I love you, I do? Well, the dream that was walking and the dream that was talking, the heaven in my arms was Did you ever see a dream walking? Well, I did. Did you ever hear a dream talking? Well, See a dream dancing? Well, I did. Did you ever see a dream romancing? Well, I did. Did you ever find heaven in your arms, saying I love you, I do? Well, the dream that was walking, the dream that was walking, and I. Yes, from her from her show. That's right. She was a star, the Seal Test Variety Theater. Uh, and uh, I was testing <laughs> seals. Oh no! no okay. <laughs> it was yes. It was a nice one. I, I really. Uh, I, I don't know why. I, I, I just uh, playing through some of the songs, and when I uh, forced myself over to the gym to do a workout, I have uh, some kind of a variety show going on. Uh, and uh, uh, that one really just caught me as I was uh, working out that day. So I just, just really enjoyed that uh, particular. Uh, and I think that, that I think it was Donald O'Connor that may have been uh, uh, talking with her before the before she sang her song. So see, they had a different guest uh, every week. So, but uh, yeah, it sounded so like wonderful. him a bit, uh, and it also seemed to magically somehow uh, kind of went along with our topic tonight hypnosis what? with the wow. little dream walk in there isn't that something? yeah <laughs> absolutely oh yeah i love donald connor too he was uh actually besides uh, uh the great job he did in singing the rain i love him with jimmy durani in the movie the milkman 
just a, it's just a cute little story with Jimmy Durante and Donald O'Connor uh, singing and dancing around a little bit. Just a fun little tale. I, I saw it once, I think, on Turner Classic Movies. The only time I've ever seen it or found it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know Bugs Bunny had a crush on her, so good enough for me. Um, there you go. <laughs> that would be that would be that would be that would be so wrong, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> well, sad sad play. A lot of those cartoons were a little on the wrong side, <laughs> <laughs> which is what made them great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But on the right side, uh, well, uh, seemingly at least, was Boston Blackie, and he's got a hypnotic story for us as well today. He does. Uh, a little bit on Boston Blackie. It ran from, uh, it actually was a summer replacement when it first started in 1944. It was a 13-week summer replacement for none other than Amos and Andy. And it starred uh, Chester Morris for that 13-week run, who had already done six Boston Blackie movies. He went on to do a total of 14. But uh, that's all they did with that. Uh, it then... In 19, it was on 1945 to 1950, and that was through the services of ZIV. And uh, it was, um, they brought in uh, Richard Colmar to be the boss. He was basically known as a soap opera actor, and he was gossip columnist Dorothy Kelligan's husband. Uh, but he was a solid actor. He really brought a different kind of side. Uh, a Boston Black himself it was, originally was kind of a jewel thief, which is why... Faraday was always after him. The great thing about the, the, the syndicate or the ZIV series is that it brought Maurice Taupin uh, to, in as Inspector Faraday. Now, we all know Maurice Taupin as the mysterious traveler. And uh, so, you know, that's where we know him more from. But he actually is doing, doing a tremendous job. After, you, you cannot listen to the mysterious traveler and listen to. Inspector Faraday, and think that they're the same guy. It's just that that convincing. So, and it was also the strange Doctor Weird, which is more like the Mysterious Traveler, but uh, uh, did a lot of acting. And that was really a Richard Calmer and and uh, I, I forget who the gal was on there, but uh, uh, Mary, who was his girlfriend Mary in the, the series, but uh, uh, just a tremendous radio show, good scripts, solid acting. And just a whole lot of fun. And we got one of them for you tonight. This one's called uh, Hypnotic Murder. Ooh. <laughs> How exciting. Yep. From and this one. August, from August 6th, 1945. <laughs> Quick. I don't smell no gas. 
Where's the light switch? Don't ask me. I'm a stranger here myself. Hey, hold it. Somebody's over there crying. Here's the light switch. Hey, miss. You, uh, Joan Thompson? Joan? Joan Thompson? Joan? Are you Joan Thompson? Are you the cigarette girl on the boulevard slab? Yes. You wanted for the murder of Henry Bryson? No. You left the club no. with him tonight, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did. Took him home in your car, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did. Okay, we found Bryson's body on a country road a couple of hours ago. There are blood stains in your car. Explain that. All right. All right, I killed him. I did it. I did it. That's better. What'd you do with the gun? I gave it. You gave it to somebody? Who? Look around, see what you can find, Rollins. Yeah, I'm looking, Inspector. What did you do with that gun, Miss Thompson? I don't know, I don't know. Hey, Inspector, there's a telephone number that may mean something. Look, right here on the top of this pan. Let's have a look. Well, uh, I'll say it means something. You know that number, Inspector, hey? No, it. I could dial it in my sleep. That phone number is Boston Blackies. <laughs> Now meet Richard Calmer's Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy, friend to those who have no friends. <laughs> Look, Miss Thompson, crying isn't going to do you any good. You're going to answer my question if it takes forever. I told you everything I know. I killed Henry Bryson, I admit it. But where's the gun? <laughs> Yeah, but when and for how long? And why was he here? Oh, please, leave me alone. Did you give Blackie your gun? I don't remember. Well, start remembering. Did you give your gun to Blackie? Yes, I gave it to him. Okay, Miss Thompson, that's all I wanted to know. Give me a hand, Rollins, for taking this girl to headquarters. Okay, lady, let's go. Hey, Inspector, this dog don't look too good, eh? Okay, so maybe she doesn't feel well. Maybe she needs a doctor. And maybe Blackie won't feel well either when he finds out he's going to need a lawyer. Inspector Faraday speaking. Hello, Faraday. This is Blackie. Blackie, I've been looking for you. So I hear. That's why I called. Yeah? Well, how does it feel to be a murder suspect? Completely natural. Now what have I done? Made a fool out of yourself. You won't be able to wisecrack your way out of this one, Blackie. I'm pinning this on you. Faraday, you have trouble pinning your badge on yourself. Okay, be a smart aleck if you want to. But why'd you do it, Blackie? Why did I do it? I don't even know what I've done. You're always so shy about telling me those things. You took Joan Thompson's gun. Oh, that? Yeah, that. The Thompson girl admits she killed Henry Bryson. Now, why did you have to get mixed up in it by taking her gun? Now you're an accessory after the fact. And you're a cop after the accessory. The cycle's complete. All right, Blackie. I've given you a chance to swear yourself. You won't? So I'm coming to get you. Oh, come on. It'll be nice seeing you again. Blackie, listen to me. Stop clowning for once and tell me. Why did you do it? It's so simple. Maybe after a few translations of the baby talk, even you can understand it. This Joan Thompson used to be Mary Wesley's best friend. Mary Wesley's qualities are catching. Uh, wait a minute, Barney. Hold your wings, Mary. They're fluttering. Can. When they're <laughs> unfolded like this, they dust the walls so nicely. <laughs> Frankie, is that Miss Wesley with you now? 
And you ought to see her, Faraday. She looks lovely. Maybe I will see her. Behind bars with you. She could be mixed up in this, too, you know. Look, Faraday, Mary didn't send me up there to take the gun away from the Thompson girl. I did that on my own. I don't trust your ballistics department. By the way, what caliber bullet killed Henry Brightson? None of your business. Well, I'm going to make it mine to keep you in business. So long, Faraday. When I have your killer, I'll deliver him to you all wrapped up. Well, times certainly haven't changed, Mary. Neither has Faraday. He thinks I had something to do with Henry Brightson's murder. Oh, Blackie, it's all my fault for calling you. But when Joan called me, I didn't know who else to turn to. If you never know who else to turn to, that's fine with me. Yes, but now you're in trouble. Is that unusual? No, but I certainly wish it were. Oh, Blackie, what are we going to do? Prove Joan Thompson didn't kill Henry Brightson. But how? She admits she killed him. I think she's admitting that to cover up somebody. Why, of course. Why didn't I think of that? Because you're, because you're not a genius called Boston Blackie. Oh, well, genius. <laughs> what now? Now I think we'll go out and make a night of it. A night of what? Oh, festivities at the Boulevard Club, where your friend Joan Thompson works. But, but why do we go there? To see if we can pick up a couple of clues before Faraday picks up a couple of us. rest of the Boulevard Club is phony enough, Mary, but I think the floor now, show is legitimate. gentlemen, you will remember that before the subject was hypnotized, he could not correctly add 27 and 47. Who can? Now, <laughs> while he's hypnotized, I will give the subject three figures to add, and his subconscious mind will calculate the answers with the speed of machinery. If this works, I should have been hypnotized in school. Won't you? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Williams... something to it, huh? Well, I'm not a professional stooge, that's your thinking. I'm just a paying guest, same as you. You added those figures so quickly. Uh, aren't you good with numbers normally? Terrible. I took math in high school for three years and just got by. <laughs> I can hardly add two and two. Well, how is it that you could add under hypnosis, then? I have to ask a psychologist about that. Uh, excuse me, please. I got people waiting at my table. Good night. Uh, thanks for coming over. Well, that mentalist is really on the level then, isn't he, Blackie? 
Yes, I suppose there is a scientific explanation for hypnosis. It's part of the applied psychology course at colleges. Oh, golly, I think we better watch the clock. It's getting late, darling. Oh, all right. There's a waiter. Waiter! I do wait, sir. Oh, Blackie, why don't you ask the waiter a few questions about Jimmy Blackson? What? And get thrown out? Mary, in places like this, the only question to ask is, how much is the check? Oh. Now, if the waiter mentions Brightson first, that's different. Then I could probably... Shh, you want something, sir? There's a check, please. Yes, sir. Here you are. Thanks. Enjoy the floor show? Very much. Almost had a little unscheduled show here last night. Our cigarette girl killed Henry Brightson. You read about it? Yes, we did. Sure was exciting. Police all over the place. Say, uh... <laughs> Uh, tell me, uh, yes? did the place, uh, did they ever find the man Brightson came in with last night? I don't know when not. Dr. James Harris does not have to hide from anybody. He left a long time before Brightson did. Why would the police think Dr. Harris killed Brightson? Well, I don't know that they do. Uh, say, uh, how did that cigarette girl, um, uh, what's her name, Joan Thompson, uh-huh. uh, how did she get mixed up with Brightson? Well, when Brightson was about to... Uh, don't ask questions yet, sir, because we do not know the answers. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry, sir, but we have a policy here never to talk about our customers. Important people come here, and it is not right. I'm sorry I asked. That's okay. Here, this should take care of the check. Thank you, sir. I'll be right back. Never mind, keep it. Thank you. Blackie. What's the matter, Mary? You look surprised. How did you know Bryson came in with someone else? I didn't. It's just a shot in the dark. Well, let's stay here until they turn out the lights, and maybe you can shoot for the answer to everything. Oh, no. We're getting out of here. Why? See that man over there? He's Edwards, the boss of this joint. Oh, he looks like the boss of a chain gang. Why not? He used to be a member of one. Look at those mugs he's talking to. And look at them. Look at us. I think they're going to close in for a better look, too. That waiter must have told him that I was asking questions. Oh, Blackie, and those questions didn't do you any good either, did they? I know it. No, come on. I'm going to see Joan in jail to try and put the pieces of this puzzle together before Edwards and his pals get the notion that we ought to be taken apart. That is the doctor to see you, Miss Thompson. A doctor? I don't want a doctor. A friend of yours asked me to see you, Miss Thompson. Uh. Uh, you want me to come in and tell what you done? She's kind of violent, this one. Hey, no, thank you, officer. I'll be all right. Okay. There you are, Doc. Thank you. I'll just lock this door. You tell me when you're through, and I'll let you out, eh? Uh, thank you, I will, yes. Uh, just sit where you are, Miss Thompson. I tell you, I don't want a doctor. Uh, just sit quietly, Miss Thompson. I don't need a doctor. I hope not, Joan, because I'm no doctor. What? But I'm what the doctor ordered, Boston Blackie. Blackie? Blackie, I gave you the gun. What else do you want? Shh. The police are after me, too. That's the reason for the whiskers in my doctor's kit. I don't understand. Why are you here? To help you. Nobody can help me. Look, Joan. I've just come from the Boulevard Club. Something's wrong there. Now, before you left last night, did anyone force you to do anything at all? No. When I got through, I got my hat and my usual cup of coffee and left. You're covering up for somebody, Joan. No. Who? Who killed Henry Brightson? I did. Joan, will you stop lying? Who's forcing you to say that? I killed Henry Brightson. I killed him. I killed him. I killed him. I did it. Leave me alone. Joan, don't do this to me. I've hidden your gun because I thought you were innocent. Now tell me the truth, will you? Go away. 
All right, Joan. If there's nothing more you can say, there's nothing more I can do. And that's part one of Boston Blackie Hypnotic Murder. Hmm. A regular kind of uh, a formula here for these Boston Blackies. Uh, somebody gets murdered. Uh, Faraday gets uh, uh, wants to get Blackie uh, charged with it. And Blackie goes out and solves the murder somehow so that uh, he, he can remain out without bail. Yes. Hmm. I can't help thinking of Faraday without being reminded of the Stooges skit, <laughs> where I, it was one with uh, Shemp, and they were detectives. I'm Faraday. I'm Halliday. I'm New Year's Day. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, someone was going to get conked on the head for that one. So, absolutely, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that should was, you know, to every Stooge. There, there were several programs with. Kind of ran like that. The uh, 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 the one Jack Webb series where he was uh, 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 Pat Novak for hire. That was one that that uh, he always was was in trouble and had to find it so that uh, I think it was so that Raymond Burr wouldn't wouldn't arrest him. And Michael Shane had uh, actually had Jack Webb on the uh, uh, on the adventure, new adventures of Mike Shane. To uh, Lefevre, um, who was always kind of right there on the step and always was kind of wanting to blame Shane, but followed him around until Shane solved it. And as he solved it, uh, that uh, he would always stepped out to take all the credit. So, brilliant police act tactics there. That's all I got to say. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure he had a love hate relationship with him. <laughs> But uh, but a wonderful story, uh, solid writing and solid acting, and uh, that's what we, that's what we get with Boston Blackie here tonight. So we do, and let's go ahead and wrap up this hypnotic tale, hypnotic murder from Boston Blackie. Another film, another story from 1945. <laughs> Joan Thompson, cigarette girl in the Boulevard Club, and friend of Mary Wesley, has confessed to the murder of Henry Brightson. But Blackie and Mary, convinced she is merely covering up for the real killer, try to help her, but learn only that Brightson came to the club with a Dr. Harris, left with Joan Thompson, was later found dead. Blackie's last hope of proving Joan's innocence died later, when in jail, Joan insisted she did kill Brightson. As we return to our story, Blackie's driving Mary to his apartment to pick up the murder gun. Blackie, what are you thinking? A whole catalog of things, Mary. What's on page one? I've never been faced with anything like this before. I know I'm licked. If Joan killed Bryson, she killed him, and that's that. Page two? I still want to do something for her, but I don't know what. Well, first you're going to do something for yourself. You're going to get that gun out of your apartment. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do now. And send it to Faraday. Then what? Then I don't know what. Well, here's my street. Blackie, is that a police car in front of your apartment house? It's worse than that. It's Faraday's private cruiser. Oh. We're getting out of here. Hey, hey, keep off four wheels on the ground, please. Phew. Sorry, oh. Mary, but that was 
Faraday himself on the sidewalk, and I I know what he's after. You, of course. First, Joan Thompson's gun in my apartment. His men are probably looking for it right now. Will they find it? I don't think so. But this means we have to find something ourselves. What? Well, remember that waiter at the Boulevard Club said Brightson arrived with a Dr. James Harris. Yes. Dr. Harris is a well-known drug specialist. He could tell me something important. What? Well... The real reason, he left the club before Brightson did. That's one thing he could tell me. And what's another thing? Whether or not Joan Thompson can be under the influence of a drug that makes her believe she committed murder. And if he gives you that information, what'll you have? A prescription for murder to be filled at the nearest police station. Why, well, yes, Blackie, I know Harry Brightson's dead. He had a visit from Inspector Faraday with the police just a little while ago. Well, Faraday's really making an effort to earn his pay these days. But I'm sure there are a couple of questions he didn't ask you, Dr. Harris. Yes? You came to the club with Brightson last night. Why didn't you leave with him? Why, uh, I had an emergency call. I can check on that, you know. Well, well, all right then. Brightson and I went to the Boulevard Club for a little private game with the owner, Jim Edwards. I dropped out. Because you ran out of money? No, I left because that game wasn't on the level. And I knew it. Who was crooked? Brightson. I told him so and left. Then what did you do? I came straight home. Got a gun, went back to the Boulevard Club, waited for Brightson to come out, followed him, then killed him. Now, look here. I, I didn't kill Brightson, I tell you. I... Yes, I know that's what you tell me. You can't drag me into this. You, you can't. All I want to do is drag the truth out of you. But I've told you the whole truth. All right. Let's forget the possibility that you might have killed Brightson for the moment. Aren't you a specialist in drugs? Mm-hmm. So what? Is there a drug that would make Joan Thompson, the cigarette girl, believe she killed Brightson? No. Drugs don't make people think they've done something they haven't done. Under the influence of drugs, people do forget, though. In other words, drugs don't enter into this at all. Being drugged would not make her confess to something she didn't do. I'll stake my reputation on that. Those are pretty high stakes, Dr. Harris. Let's just hope that before this is over, you don't have to pull them up. Hello? Mary, this is Blackie. I've just seen Dr. Harris and drugs are out. But something else is in, and if my hunch is right, I'm in, too. What do you mean? Question. Why did Brightson leave the club in Jones' car when his own was parked in a lot outside the club? Answer. His car broke down. Oh, Blanky, Joan told us that. Yes, but we're going to have a look at that car of his, because if it didn't break down, it's going to break up this case. Here's Brightson's car in the parking lot, apparently right where he left it. How will you know whether or not there's something wrong with it? You're no mechanic. <laughs> well, I can try to be one, can I? Yes, we'll have a look under the hood. That's where mechanics always start. Why aren't you observing? What do you see in there? Oh, come over and you can look at it, too. It's an engine. You don't say. Mm-hmm. Eight cylinders. That bad? <laughs> you're a big help. Well, you're the one that's pretending to be a mechanic. Uh-oh. See something? 
See those marks on the top of the engine block? Uh, yeah, yeah, the little lines in the grease. Those were made when the contact wires of the spark plugs were removed. Couldn't they have just slipped off? All of them at once? No, Pat. Somebody was kidding around with this engine. Only he wasn't kidding. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Miss. Good evening. Oh, you're the same waiter we had here last night. How nice. I'm glad you liked the Boulevard Club enough to come back the second night. Oh, yes, we enjoyed it last night. Especially the floor show. Oh, I hope you have not come to see the mentalist. As a matter of fact, we have. We hope we might be able to volunteer as subjects. Awfully sorry, sir. He is not here any longer. Oh, we missed him. But we have a new act that is excellent. I'm sure you will like it. Yes, I'm sure we will. Now, what would you like for dinner this evening? We haven't decided yet. Uh, Could you give us a few more minutes? Of course. All the time you want, sir. All the time you want. Well, Blackie, there goes your theory. And here I go to the telephone. What for? To call Faraday. Oh, Blackie, a little setback isn't going to make you give up, is it? No, Mary. A little information is going to make me give out. Inspector Faraday speaking. Inspector, this is Blackie. Where are you, Blackie? I've been looking all over town for you. Well, thanks for the flattery, Inspector, but I don't need it right now. I don't need you at any time, Blackie. Uh, don't bother with me, Faraday. You have another body on your hands if you can find it. I've already found it. And guess who it is? The hypnotist at the Boulevard Club. Oh, so you killed him too? I didn't kill him either. Yeah? And how did you know he was dead? I have a sixth sense. Yeah, so does a horse. Then if you had any horse sense, you'd know who killed Wilner and why. Okay, Sea Biscuit. Who did kill the mentalist? Okay, also ran the same guy who killed Brightson. Well, trying to answer is that. The right one. Sure, exactly what I tell you to do. First, get a doctor for Joan Thompson. She's been drugged and hypnotized. Get her out of it, and she'll stop insisting she killed Brightson. Yeah? What are you going to do? What I always do, Faraday. Get you your killer. You want to do business with me, Blackie? That's right, Edwards. I have offered some people every day who want to buy into this club of mine. I don't accept it. Oh, I'm not interested in your club, Edwards. Uh... But I am interested in your activities. Meaning what? I think you killed Henry Brightson. I'm not interested in what you think. I also think you killed Wilner, the hypnotist. I'm still not interested. I also think your gun killed them both. Oh, you do? Don't reach for your gun, Edwards. I need only one, and mine's quite handy. You're very fast on the draw. You're very slow on the take. I'm accusing you of two murders, and you don't seem the least bit concerned. Uh, by the way, uh, hand over that gun, will you? I have a permit for this pistol. But the permit doesn't say that you can kill with it. Hand it over. I want to look at it. All right, here. Now you can sit down and make yourself comfortable. Because what I'm going to say to you will make you uncomfortable. That gun of mine did not kill Brightson. It did not kill Wilner. Hasn't been fired in months. I can tell that by looking at it. Are you satisfied? Yeah. Yeah. You can have it now. Now, will you be so kind as to put your gun away? Of course. Well, that better? Yes, yeah, much. Now, Edwards, I'm not going to ask you if you killed Brightson and Wilner. I'm going to tell you you did and why. Can you? Just listen. 
Bryson caught you cheating at cards and threatened to go to the police. You couldn't afford that. You fixed his car so it wouldn't run and sent him home in Joan Thompson's car. Then Joan Thompson was the last to see him alive, so she must have killed him. Joan Thompson was drugged when she had her usual cup of coffee before leaving the club. And you went along with her until the drug took effect. Then stopped the car, shot Brightson. Joan Thompson admits she killed Brightson. Of course. Under hypnosis, she would admit anything. After killing Brightson, you brought Joan back here, had Wilma hypnotize her and impress on her subconscious that she had killed Brightson. You, uh, can prove that? You helped prove it yourself by killing Wilma so he could never blackmail you. The final proof will come when a doctor tells the police that Joan Thompson has been both drugged and hypnotized ever since she was found in the room. Don't move, Blackie. I wouldn't give orders if I were you, Edward. Then I'll let my gun speak for me. Speaks sort of softly, doesn't it? Stay back, Blackie. My gun's just missing. I'll say it's missing, Edwards. It's missing its bullet. What? I took them out when I pretended to look at you again. Why, you dirty... Oh, no, Edwards. Please, don't call me names. It isn't fair. Because from now on, all anybody will be able to call you is a number. Everything checked, Mary. The police found out that our friend Joan had been drugged. And Joan was made to believe she killed Bryson because she was hypnotized. I still can't believe it. Look into my eyes. Hmm? You are going to sleep. Oh. Look into my eyes. Yes. Now put your arms around me. Yes. Now lift your face up to mine. Like this? And now? Now? This. (laughs) Do you think I'm hypnotized? Well, maybe you aren't. But I am. Let's do that again.
Yes, Frosty Blackie, the show with the longest outro known to man. <laughs> yeah, you get, well, remember, this is syndicated, so that's where, uh, you know, in television, they have the film that goes over, insert commercial here. Well, that's kind of what you're doing there. You, you bring down the yeah. music and you insert commercial here. Yeah, and now with uh, streaming television, you can tell them, insert your commercial right there, buddy. All right. uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's the beauty of having your Roku fixed. (laughs) (laughs) I was was going through withdrawal. I kept looking at my TV going, all that color. Oh, my eyes, my (laughs) eyes. Need some good old black and white there, huh? I do, I do. It's 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 a it's a terrible thing, but I need it. <laughs> it's like a drug. I have to have black and white. Hey, this would be a great spot because we have a few minutes left here. I invite anyone to call in live right now at six four six three seven eight zero two six four. Have a chance to quickly spin the wheel of radio. Yeah, for another bonus treat tonight. Dial so, carefully. Again, that number, 646-378-0264. Yep, if you're listening yep. in the archive, nobody's going to answer. <laughs> Can't we they'll, say, they'll say, no program has yet been sca- scheduled. Please call back later. Because she's rude. That's what happens. So. That's what happens. But uh, so we, so Boston back, Blackie learned a thing or two, and maybe now we could learn a thing or three. Well, we could. Proudly resents a garless moral of the story. With apologies to guard, drinking and driving don't mix. But obviously, drugs and hypnotism does. So there you go. <laughs> That's <laughs> Plenty of other hypnotic tales to bring in the future. Who knows? I might even have another one scheduled for way down the line. I don't know, but I know that I'm sure there's more out there. Because uh, I, I don't even think I explored the Radio Mystery Theater. I'm sure out of their almost 1,500 shows, there are almost 1,400 shows that uh, that there's at least one good hypnotism show in there. But uh, that will be for yet another night. But we do have something coming up. Next week, Dale. Yeah, next week we return to science fiction. We're going to explore the planets as we wrap up January on uh, Friday the 31st with one of my old faves, X-1, one of my new faves, Bradbury 13, and an episode of Vanishing Point as well. All stories about planets. And then uh, we'll continue on Saturday with CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Right. So, as you know, the Friday show is 8.30 Eastern, the Saturday show 
6.30 Eastern. If you want to listen live, like our chatters are tonight. <laughs> yes, and, been, been, and they've been pretty chatty tonight. We appreciate everybody that comes in and participates in the show, whether you call in or whether you just uh, 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 chat in line, or even if you just come in and listen, that's fun too. But uh, it's fun to be here interacting with everyone. Yep, so, we appreciate uh, that like, live response too, because it gives us an idea of what, what, what you folks like and what you want to hear, and, and if you're enjoying what we're doing. And uh, since we're we're uh, nobody's going to call in tonight, Dale. So I think it's I believe it's your turn to give a yank on that wheel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll I'll give it a tug. <laughs> around around she goes, and where she stops, nobody knows. And now, the Cretchford Braid and Tassel Company invites you to share another nostalgic interlude in the lives of the Pittmans. The Great Depression swept across the land when I was a young boy growing up amid the prairie of Oklahoma. And in many ways, my family suffered more than most, for my father was a simple farmer. In good years, he sometimes harvested a thousand bushels of dust from the land. But in bad years, the crop often ran to 5,000 bushels or more. Still, there were happy times as well. One day in particular stands out quite vividly in my recollection. I had just received an important letter in the mail. And as I hurried into the house to tell my parents about it, my young heart was racing. Hey, Ma. Hey, Pa. I just received an important letter in the mail, and my young heart is racing. Well, now you just lie down on the floor and rest for a little while, Jimmy Joe. The shock of getting that bad news will pass after your mother's made you some bitter routine. Oh, this isn't bad news by a long shot, Pa. It's from that school for creative writers I saw advertised on a matchbook cover. I sent them a sample of my best childish scribbling for their free appraisal, and they say I'm so good that they're offering me a scholarship to take their home study course. Well, I think that's wonderful, Jimmy Joe. We've always wanted you children to go on to a higher education, even beyond the sixth grade, if we could afford it. Oh, this is a lot higher than that, Ma. My new school will mail me a diploma suitable for framing once I graduate. And the complete course of ten lessons only costs $40. Well, I know you've got your heart set on becoming a famous writer when you grow up, Jimmy Joe, and I sure want you to enroll in this fine school. But, uh... Why do you have to pay $40 if they're giving you a free scholarship? Oh, they explain that in the letter, Pa. The money is just to cover the school's cost of handling and mailing. Usually they charge an extra $5 for tuition. But I'm so gifted, they're not making me pay any of that. Well, it would be a terrible shame to let an opportunity like this go by. But $40 is a lot of money to raise. We might get as much as 15 by selling the truck... But I'm afraid your grandmother would have to go back to work at the lard rendering plant to help scrape up the rest. Well, I know you promised Grandma she could take things easier now that she's past 90. But this is a real worthy cause. Just listen to this great sample of my writing that I sent to the school, and they praise so highly. Here's how it goes. <clears throat> Come you back to Mandalay, where the old flotilla lay. Can't you hear their paddles clunking from Rangoon to Mandalay? On the road to Mandalay... Uh, just... 
hold on right there, Jimmy Joe. I'm inclined to wonder about the professors at that school, if this is the poem you sent them to win your scholarship. And I don't want to sell the truck unless I'm sure you'd be getting a first-rate education from teachers with good sense. So uh, why don't you just throw away that letter you got and then go off to bed, son? Well, okay, if you're sure that's in my best interest. Good night, Pa. Good night, Ma. Good night, Jimmy Joe. Good night, Uncle Kermit. That's right. Good night, Uncle Kermit. Uh, we are running a little <laughs> short on time. Wanted to thank sure. you for chatting live or listening in the archive or listening live where we can't see you, where you're all in- invisible. Or maybe you hypnotize us and we can't see you. I don't really know. Oh, I know. Is we'll be Monday back night next the Vortex. week. We're just, yep, we're just really bad movie. Monday, Vortex, 9 o'clock, Eastern. Thank you. <laughs> yes, that's at horrorhost.net. You definitely want to catch uh, uh, Weirdness, really bad movie. Well, gang, uh, again, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Or, I'm sorry, <laughs> Sun- Friday ah, at 8.30. <laughs> Bye. The castle lights are growing dim. Framing. There's no one left but me and him. When next we meet in Frankenstone, don't come alone.